0: The story of The Hip Hop Cops when I started the documentary back in 2004 was that it was a secret unit and it was shrouded in mystery for many reasons. The journey of getting inside hip hop and law enforcement for two years left me with a few takeaways, but more importantly, it left me with a question inside my head that played over and over. Why was the hip hop music industry at war with the cops? And more importantly, why did hip hop have such a distinct connection to the war on drugs? And it is no secret that hip hop has had an impact on race, culture, politics, you name it. Why now? Why tell the story now? It's been told in so many ways, but this
1: is phenomenal here. 50th year hip hop. I mean, really, seriously. After 50 years, you should get it together. Um, um, I'm not an all hip hop as a lot of other people because I'm 12 years older than hip hop. I've seen it come along in 1973 at 12 years old, like a kid on a tricycle. It's my accountability and responsibility to make sure somebody doesn't drive it in a ditch. The beautiful thing about this is the narrative is taken up by the artists themselves. When you see Melly Mel speak out, Fat Joe, Roxanne Shante, Grandmaster Caz, Eminem, you know, Lupe Fiasco. Their dialogue about how important this is, they usually don't get the questions that myself or Karis Wine or Ice-T would get. And this is the brilliant aspect about it. It's a diverse, it's music is music, you know? It's important, like the DJs had to know, like, Rihanna was a Fleetwood Mac big record, so we knew that, you know what I'm saying? As well as, you know, James Brown and Sign the Family Stone, musicologists. The message basically gets to be the best when the presenters are at the best.
0: While the NYPD, FBI, Haida, and the United States Attorney looked at the business of hip-hop, what they really were looking to do was connect 80s-era crack kingpins to known and famous faces. It made for a more interesting story. It made headlines. More importantly, for young and hungry cops, investigators, and prosecutors, it gave them purpose and a sexy reason to pursue these cases.
2: First of all, I think a lot of people don't realize this. Murder, Inc. sold over 30 million albums. Well, you guys made half a billion dollars. Yeah. In overall gross revenue. Yeah. Half a billion dollars. You know, it
3: it pisses me off because let me explain why. The government stopped me from making the money. When the government came in at that time murder rank was doing like over 100 million in billing for like two years in a row Mm. 50 million to make that 200 million or something i'm just giving ballpark numbers, but it was something like that okay so it's 150 million profit i got a 50 50 joint venture they owe me 75 and they was about to give me they was giving me like a check for like 65 million and that's why the government came in Because if you remember, they came and raided me, but I didn't go to trial for the next two and a half years.
2: And they held the money the whole time.
3: As soon as they raided me, they sent a letter to the Universal Music Group that said, if you give Irving Lorenzo $1, you're going to be his co-defendants. So
2: they held the money. Because
3: you gave him that money, of which he's helping this fucking drug dealer Supreme out. Well,
2: that was a very strange situation. Because you and Supreme have been friends from way back.
3: Me and Supreme began our friendship around, like, 92, 93.
0: Right. And so we've
3: been friends for probably 10 years before this.
0: While hip-hop artists are music storytellers, when cops solve a big case or they feel they have a story, they too want to become storytellers. And while I was doing this documentary, there was a retired NYPD cop who was brazen enough and understood the business of Hollywood to start calling himself the hip hop cop. His name was Derek Parker.
2: So when did the hip hop thing come around?
4: Well, okay, after I left the 75, I went into the eight one detective squad and I got put on a homicide team. While I was in the eight one squad, I was already looking into the hip hop industry because they had come across, my desk with a few homicides. I had a few homicides involving guys that were in the um, rap music industry. So what happened was that uh, I was promoted to the Cold Case Squad. And that's when the hip-hop world really came together. While I was in Cold Cases, I was going around uh, dealing with um, unsolved murders in uh, the whole borough of New York. And I was traveling to different cities, bringing people back for murders. And uh, what happened was that I had told the commissioner, I think it was Ed Norris at the time, about this hip hop world. And I was telling him about the murders and things were going on. I mean, he listened to me, but nobody really took it really seriously until Tupac got killed, opened up some eyes. But when Biggie Smalls got killed, that's when I told my, my boss, who was an inspector at the time, about the murder of Biggie It's gonna come back to New York. And he said, Derek, look, they don't kill people in rock and roll. So leave this rap stuff alone. It's not our business.
2: Right, but Biggie got killed in L.A.
4: I know, but it was coming back to New York. And the reason it was coming back to New York, because he's a Brooklyn native, and sure enough, when they started getting all the death threats at the funeral home, the Frank Gamble funeral home, against Puffy, Faith, um, Kim, every, all these things started coming up, now the police department grew very concerned because of the amount of publicity and the, um, the attention it was getting. So that's when the commissioner said, Derek, you need to come down here and explain to myself and the chief and the commissioner what's going on with this rap music industry because now it's becoming violent.
0: Now, when I was working on my film, Derek was not only writing a book, he too was creating a documentary on his personal story. And with his pronouncement, that meant that some of the mystery was gone. Someone from the NYPD had finally gone on the record. Someone had finally admitted, yes, they had created this unit, and Derek was a part of that team. Okay, so then what happened? Okay, so
4: when I went down and spoke with them, I spent four hours at the police headquarters briefing them on this East Coast, West Coast feud between Bad Boy and Death Row. And I told them how it started, you know, with the thing in Atlanta with Jake Robles and how the thing is in L.A. and New York and Puffy and, and Suge Knight. And then it wore it down to Biggie and Tupac, even though they were friends at one time. So after I explained all of this, um, they assigned me to the funeral home. They said, you're going to be at the funeral home. But while I was in the Cold Case squad, my bosses were getting very upset with me because they didn't want me to leave Cold Case because I was solving a great deal of murders and going into this rap stuff full time because my captain at the time felt he wasn't going to get anything out of it. Like, why are you helping these other units when it's not, you're not, I'm not getting recognized. You're being one of my men. Uh, but the police commissioner wasn't having that, and neither was the deputy commissioners and the chief. They were like, listen, you will come, you will be at their funeral home, and you will brief us on everything. So I had to set up sort of a coordination plan with the uh, our SWAT guys that you call ESU guys here, and the LAPD, LAPD flew here, and I met with them. And uh, we all had uh, you know worked together during the funeral, because they were very surprised, they were overwhelmed. They said, Derek, we don't know much about this rap music industry, This case just fell into our laps at the Wilshire Peterkin Museum out in L.A. And I said, look, I knew all about this. And I said, you know, this was bound to happen. I knew it was going to happen. And uh, I tried to warn the police department back then. But like I said, they didn't see this like I saw it. Because not only being a cop, but I was a hip hop fan myself. And I had been looking and monitoring things that were going on between these worlds, between Death Row and Bad Boy. So. what happened was that uh, uh, there the were death threats at the funeral home. Uh, I had to be present when they brought Biggie's body back from LA, so I was the, one of the very few people to see his body before he was, you know, uh, from the public with the, the, the cops up from the um, Manhattan precinct, too oh, 0 yeah, And then, uh, you know, I mean, I, I was assigned there for like maybe a week at the funeral just to make sure there was no violence. We had cops stationed everywhere. There were bomb threats against the funeral home, death threats. Against Puffy. It was a lot going on, and the police department did not know where to turn to.
2: Okay. And I guess you had flown out to Vegas after Tupac well, got Well, when Tupac
4: got killed, I went out to Vegas, and I set up a attack plan out there with the Vegas PD. Um, but the problem I had in Vegas was that Vegas PD didn't trust LAPD, and that was a big problem. Uh, sometimes, it's cops, and we all are, are cops in a business that we do, we get territorial, and Vegas became territorial with LA and then they felt that a lot of the stuff was coming from LA and then there was a corruptible, a corruptible angle that was attached to it, so they didn't trust anyone.
2: Okay. So from your point of view, when you look at the Tupac and Biggie murders, from based on what you know and the intelligence that you got as a police officer, let's start with Tupac first. Okay. Uh, how, how involved, were you in, involved in the case at all?
4: I was involved somewhat because I was involved afterwards. When he got shot and killed in Vegas, I was involved afterwards. And I tried to help Las Vegas PD with the investigation because I knew that the perpetrators or the guys that were involved were all LA based, okay. pretty much. And I tried to tell them that. Um, of course, Vegas PD wasn't so cooperative back then. Uh, but when I went out there to help them, we went to the, the Mike Tyson-Seldon fight. And I think we were stationed out there to see if there was no more repeat violence that was going to occur as a result of the Tupac thing in, okay. in Vegas. So they were concerned about that. And while I was out there, I tried to help them. But
0: Derek's story was interesting, but I felt it lacked some details. His biggest claim was that he had worked on the team that investigated the murder of Jam Master Jay. And he also knew a lot of the information on the murders of Biggie and Tupac. Derek's book was called... The Notorious C.O.P. In its Amazon description, it gives a pretty good summary. As head of the first special force unit devoted exclusively to the investigation of hip-hop crime, first grade detective Derek Parker worked on some of the biggest criminal cases in rap history. From the shooting at Club New York to the murder of Tupac Shakur, Derek was on the inside of hip-hop's most notorious crimes. Always straddling the fence between po and NYPD outsider, Derek threatened police tradition to try and get the cases solved. He was the first New York detective on the Biggie Smalls murder and discovered shocking and never before revealed information from an unlikely informant. He protected one of the only surviving eyewitnesses to the Jam Master Jay murder and knows the identity of the killers as well as the motivation behind the shooting. Notorious COP reveals hip-hop crimes that never made the paper, like the robbing of Foxy Brown and the first Hot 97 shooting, and answers some lingering questions about murders that remain unsolved. The book that both the NYPD and hip-hop community don't want you to read, Notorious COP is the first insider look at the real links between crime and hip-hop and the inefficiencies that have left some of the most widely publicized murders in entertainment history unsolved. While the film I was doing was in competition with Derek, years later, I became friendly with him and realized inside the NYPD, he had had problems with the politics of the department and at his heart, Derek was a good guy. Rap sheet at its core really was from the perspective of the hip-hop artists. It was based in the style of interviews wherein as an amateur, and for unforeseen circumstances, I put the camera in the face of hip-hop celebrities and asked simple questions. Yet I'm told even today that police departments across the country screen the documentary so that police officers can understand the perspective of some of the artists.
1: Talk about this music and the impact that it's having. It can have a terrible impact if used the wrong way. <laughs> Tell us how it's used bad so we can learn, parents and young people, the dangers and what you can become if you don't really understand it. If you don't have somebody at home saying, why are you listening to this? Don't become this. Yes. yes. Talk about that. Well, hip hop, in a sense, they're just actors. And I feel as though that they're just putting on a front sometimes to just prove their point. In the rap culture, a lot of these people are just playing certain roles,
3: and those roles aren't being shown well. Hip-hop has a negative overwhelmingly negative impact on young people especially young black people young black males in particular the reason that it has an especially negative impact on young black males is that these hip-hop artists are predominantly black they're predominantly black males and so these individuals these young people are most likely to personally identify with them and so the the fast life that these rappers talk about a lot of times becomes a fantasy for these youth people for these young people
0: derek's story contributed to the narrative the myth and again the mystery as to why this unit existed and if i'm being honest I wasn't a sophisticated enough journalist to really delve deep into the subject matter. I did try and make comparisons to the hip-hop dossier and COINTELPRO, the FBI program. The FBI is a government agency supposedly intended to protect American civilians from the worst criminals imaginable, from domestic terrorists to serial killers. But who do you run to when the FBI wants you dead? It may seem like the high concept premise of the latest Jason Bourne movie, but this was actually the terrifying reality faced by a number of political leaders and public figures as a result of Co Intel Pro the FBI's clandestine series of projects intended to bring American activism to its knees. The comparison was evident, but there was a difference. The COINTEL program created by J. Edgar Hoover and the FBI went after a lot of subversive groups, and mainly the Black Panthers, who were fighting for equal rights. Stakes for the Panthers were way higher than, say, Jay-Z and Puffy. As the Panthers and their social programs and education and food were community-based and grassroots, at that time, Jay just wanted to talk about Cristal, not government corruption. The hip-hop book I acquired from the source in the Miami Police Department was very controversial at that time. I think it's even controversial today. Because let's be honest, Puffy, Jay, Fat Joe, 50, they were true businessmen, not gangsters. They were not actively creating a criminal organization. The NYPD's efforts with this unit were a bad attempt at a solution to a problem they didn't understand. If they wanted the goons that surrounded the hip-hop stars, or if they wanted the gangsters that had attached themselves to the artist's cliques, they should have just used the normal organized crime units and drug units that they usually did. But this wasn't about preventing crime. It was about splashy headlines for the police chiefs and prosecutors. And when does
5: when does like the whole Haitian Jack and Jimmy and these guys come on your radar
0: in regards to? And when do you realize that they're that they're somehow or other either extorting Tupac or um,
5: what? How does that come across your radar? I. Well, I become aware. I don't. I don't become aware of it till like year. What what happens is once I kind of got myself in this game. I liked the. Cult. I I was a, a huge music fan as a kid. You know, I got, I have probably like twelve thousand songs on my my iPod. I know every genre of music. I was a fan of certain rap music, and when I heard about Fifty Cent getting shot, and I knew who the players were, and I heard him sing about Haitian Jack. Um, and then I looked into Jack, and I found out, like, yeah, he's got the music industry locked down. And, um, um, you know, he has this, rep- this feared reputation on the street. I was like, wow, I got I to take a shot at this guy. And so I ended up arresting Jack. And then uh, just, like, for uh, a, uh, I guess he was a deportable uh, alien and a, a felon. And uh, he ultimately, I don't want to get into the fact whether he would have agreed to cooperate. He was never a signed up um, CI or anything like that. But um, I did arrest him on two occasions. And uh, one was for uh, trying to flip him, and the other one was for a shooting at a place called Monroe's over in West Hollywood. He shot a couple of guys um, who insulted him in MC light. Uh, One evening, and it was basically they had some kind of beast because they had some business together that had gone bad. But um, I can get it, I I think I can get it. I've had conversations with Jack's attorney that I can speak to on how Tupac thought that Jack was cooperating or when he got mad at Jack uh, because Jack's attorney Paul Brenner used to represent the police union at one time. Jack tried, uh, Tupac tried to. Make it appear as though um, Jack was a police informant and they gave him the, a, an attorney, which is just ludicrous. Um, and Supac was crazy. And so, you know, um, he would do anything. And like Jack was trying to tell him, look, I got a good lawyer. This guy is, you know, he represents cops who get in trouble, and everything else. Got to take a plea. And Supac thought that Jack should take the heat. And, uh, you know, he wanted to be a player, but then when it came down to doing jail time, um, he got mad at these guys, and he shot his mouth off, and that was what led to all this, his trouble. Why did he Why did he get mi- mixed up with Jack and all those guys? You know, I guess he started, so he started, uh, when he got big in the music game, he came across guys like Biggie, Junior Mafia, and all those guys, and... You know jack and his crew were legends in brooklyn and they were going to the clubs and they were like going to outside the clubs robbing everybody of their rolexes robbing all the drug dealers and the, and the players and they had this reputation as you know really like uh really bad tight a tight crew of, of thugs and um you know they they uh, so when when tupac starts you know, uh, collaborating with other artists, he he gets these guys start coming to the shows and he liked that lifestyle. And he he liked being around these really bad, tough guys, but ultimately he wasn't. He made some, some bad choices talking to AJ Bender and other people and complaining
0: and making allegations. That was the voice of Bill Courtney. And when I was investigating the hip hop cops, it was his name that I saw in documents. It was his name that I saw as an investigator who was part of a joint task force between the DEA, the FBI, and the NYPD. And at that time, I knew that he actually was the savvy investigator who was really looking into hip-hop crimes. It would be almost 10 years after Rap Sheet came out that I finally tracked down Bill Courtney when I was producing a TV show for Fox called Who Shot Biggie and Tupac? And I wanted to interview him. Bill confirmed to me in person that he was the guy that was sent out to go undercover inside hip-hop. He filed Tupac when he was in Los Angeles. He investigated notorious gangsters like Haitian Jack, the Supreme Team guys. And Bill tells a simple yet compelling story. He was working narcotics in Brooklyn. We started to see a lot of the drug dealers he was tracking start to hang around up-and-coming hip-hop superstars. Bill laughs about it now, but when I was making my film, Bill was the white whale of information. Bill also was very friendly with Haitian Jack, and pretty much confirmed Haitian Jack, who hung out with Madonna, was with Tupac when he caught his rape charge, and who robbed many hip-hop artists, was actually an informant for law enforcement. There were sinister forces inside hip-hop. Bill wasn't calling himself a hip-hop cop, he was just doing his job. Now you have the whole Suge Knight. You have, um, you know, Biggie kind of on the rise. Do you start looking at both? Did you start looking at both uh, guys around Tupac and Biggie at that time, like, close to their deaths? No, I
5: don't I don't even, um, I don't even get involved with it until after they're dead, but, uh, you know, I I, I started looking into it. I guess in like the, the late '90s. So it just that dead. I'm I'm more like you know. And then when I hear about it, and I'm on these drug cases, and I'm hearing about all these other rappers in there, they're coming across wires and everything else. I'm like, what's going on, man? Like this this game just blew up nationwide. Everybody's into this music and there's a, there's a lot of violence attached to it, and there's a lot of drug players and a lot of guys who rob drug players involved in it. And um, this needs you know just needs some f- further attention that this stuff's gonna happen here, and I, I, gotta, I gotta be on top of it kind of thing.
0: With the focus of the NYPD, the biggest question I was left with after finishing the film was simple. With this microscope, with this dossier, With guys like Bill running around trying to connect the dots, how and why did the biggest hip hop murders remain unsolved to this day? It was something that would drive me forward in trying to understand this dynamic and relationship